The sun hadn't set yet, really, but it was low enough in the sky where it had started to turn orange. And, and the workday for most was done. And the streets of the town were, were dotted with people on their way back from the fields. But, but her workday, it, it wasn't done. She had left her, her father's home, which was nearby, to go get some water. And she wasn't bitter. I mean, it, it, it was servant's work. But the servants were all busy preparing for the party. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really a party. It was more like a dinner. But it was, everybody who was anybody in the town was going to be there. All the leaders, all the lawyers, they were going to be there. And so she was happy to help her family out and get the water. And so she goes and she you know, hoists the jug up on her head and she's being careful to bring it back home. And, and she gets near her home and there's a, there's a crowd out front. She gets closer. She can hear their cries. Is that amazement? Whatever had just happened, some people were clearly a little skeptical. She gets to the front of the crowd and she sees her neighbor, who can't speak, is talking to this man that she doesn't know, and also to her father. And her father waves, waves her over with a smile and he says, this rabbi will be joining us for dinner. And he leans in and he whispers, see that everything is in order. She goes into her, into her home and her stomach just starts rumbling. The, the sights and the smells, they hit her and, and they remind her that she hadn't eaten that day. It seemed like all the guests had arrived and a respectful hush fell over the room. Her father stood up. He gave thanks. He welcomed his, his uh, guests and then they began washing their hands, as was their custom. They would, they would take a small amount of water, and he would pour it over their fingertips to, to indicate ceremonial cleanliness. And they're doing this. They're pouring the water over their fingertips for, for each of the guests. And the rabbi, he walks past. And he goes, and he reclines at the table. I mean, surely he knows our customs. She looks over at her father, he looks more astonished than anything. She looks at the rabbi. He's got a scowl on his face. And just then, he, he sort of in a loud voice, he says, you Pharisees. He doesn't say it in a nice way, like, oh, you're Pharisees. It's like a pejorative. You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. In that room, and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's eyes are on the rabbi. But not her. Her eyes are on her father. Man, what's he thinking? She can tell he's flustered. His face is, is red He's just been insulted in his own home by a guest. Oh, how humiliating that must be for him. She's wondering, how is he going to respond? And she, he doesn't even get the chance to respond because the rabbi, in an even louder voice, he says, you fools. And that's how our text begins this morning. 
So go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 11. The people that Jesus is talking to, man, they, they loved the Bible. They really loved it, and they uh, did their best to follow the rules that they thought would, would uh, earn their, their God's love for them, and they wanted to teach other people that, how to live accordingly. And you'd think, you'd think that these would be some of Jesus' favorite people. But today, he has a harsh rebuke for them. He's going to say six things, six woes that they're doing wrong. Woe, kind of an NLT phrase. It's just another word of saying, like, what sorrow awaits you? And uh, so, so he's going to rebuke them. It's a story of a dinner party gone terribly wrong. So uh, Luke 11 going to start in verse 37. By the way, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm on the teaching team here, and it is great to be back. We were, our family was gone adventuring and serving for six months, and someday I would love to uh, share stories from that with you, but it's great to see you all, and it is great to be here. We've got, um, we're just working our way through the book of Luke. And we're in Luke eleven thirty seven. We've got something like twenty verses to cover today, so we're gonna we're gonna go through it in chunks. This is starting in verse thirty seven. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Man, I read those words that were spoken to people that love the Bible, and it is just like a heart check for me, right? Jesus is saying to them, you know, you guys look good on the outside, but your heart, your heart is wicked and greedy. And I just think, man, does my heart reflect my words and actions? That's, that's what's going on in my mind. And so he's going to give us six woes. The NLT says, what sorrow awaits. So the first one, what sorrow awaits if you sweat the small stuff and sacrifice the significant. This is verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You religious people. Are you a religious person? If somebody, somebody, if somebody asks me, am I a religious person, I usually say no. There's just something about that that to me it has just the connotation of, of rules and, and, and certain behavior. And I usually just say, you know, I follow Jesus, but I'm not a religious person. But these religious people, they were so focused on following their rules that they, they missed the most important things, right? Jesus says they tithe, you know, 10% out of their spice rack, right? I mean, you can imagine, you know, you go to the garden, you pick some basil. It's like nine basil leaves for me, one basil leaf for God. One, nine basil leaves for me, 
one basil leaf for God. I mean, they were meticulous, but they were missing the more important thing, like cleaning your bathroom before you have guests over, right? I don't know if you guys ever have company over. We do it from time to time, and we've kind of got it down to a system, and the bathroom is, man, that is like kind of top of our list because we've got a family of seven, and so it gets used, right? And, and uh, the, way we, the way we operate is we, everybody's got their chore list, but then we also have a whiteboard, and we just throw basically random things that also need to get done on the whiteboard, and you kind of work off your chore list, and you cross stuff off the whiteboard. If you've ever been to our house after, like, you know, you, as a guest, if you go into our room, you'll see that we always forget to erase the whiteboard. So we'll have like just tons of random chores of what was a disaster before you arrived. And, uh, and what, what would be typical is that, uh, you know, I'd be working on the bathroom or something like that, and I would get distracted and I would wander off and go missing. And then Erin will inevitably, she's like, oh my goodness, where's Ryan? You know, she'll come find me and I'll be somewhere like the garage. He's like, what are you doing in the garage? And I'm like, hey, the garage is on our to-do list. It's a disaster. She says, yeah, but it's number 20, right? I mean, she'll say something wise, like these things you ought to have done without neglecting the other, right? She'll like quote Jesus to me or something like that. Uh, and, and the point is this, right? It's good to do the little things that, that's important to but not if you're gonna miss out on the most important things. And that's a criticism that Jesus had, right? Sometimes when, when someone asks Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Uh, he, he actually gave two responses, and sometimes we shorten them into just two words. And we say that Jesus said the most important thing is to love God and to love people. Yeah, love God, love others, love people. That's exactly right. And so the Pharisees, the charge that he's making against them is you're doing these like very specific, minute things, you know, picking, counting basil leaves. But like the, the good Samaritan's dying on the side of the road, and you're just passing him by. And it's easy to look at them and, and, and kind of with disdain and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. How could they do that? Right? But, but it could be me. Maybe it could be you. Right? Maybe, maybe I come to church, but I'm not, I'm not really worshiping. I'm just there. Maybe I'm in a life group, a small group, but I'm harsh with my family. Or I read my Bible, but I haven't forgiven. Or I'm nursing a grudge. I think Jesus would, would maybe have those same words for us. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Woe number two that he has for them is what sorrow awaits if you are a fan of flattery. We're going to continue in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. He's saying, you love being recognized for the good things that you do. You do them for your glory and not for God's glory. And God says, when we do things for our recognition or to be built up, he he doesn't actually even see them as good works. If we just take a look, um, Matthew 6, is Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. In order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he goes on to say the same thing about about when you pray, about when you fast. And let's be people who care deeply about what God thinks, but not people who care about what our coworkers or what random people at UltraZone Laser Tag in Madison think, right? Like, we don't care. Let's be people who don't care what they think. I was there. I was at UltraZone Laser Tag in Madison a few years ago. Carter, my second oldest son, it was his birthday. And he, um, you know, he wanted to go play laser tag with some friends. And one of the parents, they, they couldn't make it. And I said, listen, 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 listen. I am technically an adult and I am semi-responsible. So I can watch your kid. No problem, right? And we, we get there and it is like, man, it is herding cats. It's a zoo. There's kids everywhere. We go in and play laser tag. We come out and we're just, you know, we're like, oh, did you see that? Oh, remember when I got you? We're just, just reliving it. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, but then I look around, and it's like, oh my goodness, where's Roland? Where's Roland, right? Have you ever lost a kid? Oh, my goodness. It wasn't that bad because it was somebody else's kid. But like, like if, you lose, if you lose a kid, oh my goodness, it is, it is terrible. And so I'm frantically looking around, at, and then I see him. He's, he's actually at somebody else's birthday party. Like some random person, he just like went up to their birthday party, and he's making glow-in-the-dark sunglasses at somebody else's birthday party. And I'm like, Roland, Roland, buddy, you know, you can't, you're not even invited. You're not even to that party. You've got to stay, you stay here. And so then we go, we play a second round of laser tag and come out, and where's Roland? Uh, fool me once, right? I know, I just look over at that birthday party. He's over there. He's making, playing with slime. You know, it's totally oblivious to sort of the, the social faux pas of doing something like that. And then we get into uh, our final round of laser tag. Come out, and I don't, even, I don't even like look for Roland. I just go right to that birthday party. But he's not there. And uh, I look down. He's actually at my side eating a cupcake. Like, Roland, wh- where did you get the cupcake? He, he doesn't even know. He just saw a cupcake. He grabbed it. He starts chowing down on the cupcake. And so here's the point, right? Roland was totally unconcerned, did not care at all with what other people would think of him just going and doing those things. It did not matter to him at all, right? And I want us to be a people who follow Jesus in an equally unconcerned manner, right? Like, like we don't care what other people think. We're, we're only concerned with the opinion of one person, our Father. Let, let him be enough. Whether other people offer glory or disdain, doesn't matter. We're totally, totally unconcerned, just like Roland. But like, I don't, it doesn't even enter my mind. Woe number three. What sorrow awaits you if you poison others' perspectives? This is verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. This is, this is where a, Bible, a study Bible is, is just a phenomenal resource. And I know I pitch that a lot, but they are, they are so good. Uh, because it may not seem like a big deal. Oh, you're like, David, you're like an unmarked grave, right? I mean, what, what is that, right? But it was actually a big deal. Jesus was throwing them some serious shade because in, in Judaism, if you touched a grave, you'd be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They'd even, they'd go out of their ways, uh, uh, way to whitewash the grave so that you didn't accidentally 
touch a grave. And if you did, then you'd have to, you'd have to offer a, a sin offering, and you'd take the ashes from that, and you'd put it in a jar, you'd add some water. Then a ceremonially clean person would take a branch of hyssop, which is like mint, they'd kind of stir it in there, and they'd sprinkle you with the ash water, and then you're still not clean because on day three, they, they, they do the same thing. Then on day seven, they do the same thing. Then you're still not clean. You have to uh, wash your clothes and wash yourself. And if you don't complete that process, then you're cut off from the community. You're like, okay, that's really interesting, but why are you telling us about random ancient Jewish cleanliness rituals? Right? We're getting there. Okay? Just, just stay with me. Um, the point is, it's a big deal to touch a grave, right? It's a big deal. And these are the people that are most concerned, most concerned with rules and minutia and rituals and details. They, their job was to teach the people of Israel how to be clean. Are you getting this? And Jesus was saying, you are like unmarked graves. The very thing that you're trying to teach people about, you're doing the opposite. And in the way that you're living, you are defiling the nation of Israel. I mean, that was a huge deal, what he was saying to them. Last week, I was in kind of a funk. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but I'm, I'm short with my kids. I'm argumentative with Aaron. You know, they're trying to tell me, hey, you know, uh, everything okay? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. You know, I'm not grumpy. You're grumpy. Um, it was really hard, a hard week for me, because I had to live with seven or six other grumpy people, Right? You know, Aaron had a, had a grumpy week, and Clayton, and Carter, and Lana, and Liam, and Cooper. I was fine, but they were just so grumpy all week. And I don't know why. But actually, it was my issue, right? It was my issue. And did my issue have an impact on my family? Oh, big time, right? They, they, they come to me with something, and I snap at them, and now they're grumpy, Right? And, then, and pretty soon, our, ho- our house is just like a super pleasant place to be. Right? You know, it's like, this is just happy. And the same is true with our faith. Right? If, if, I'm, if I'm flustered and I'm in a hurry and I'm like, come on, kids, let's get to church. Come on, come on. Right? They're going to they're gonna be the same way if, if I'm filled with, with envy and bitter, bitterness and anger and I'm just like that grumpy around other people, that is going to impact other people. There's going to be, you know, there's people that don't know Jesus, but they know you and they know me. And we can poison their view of the king. But what if we modeled our values? What we say around here at Hillcrest, we say that we have five values. So this is quiz time. Anybody know? The, the first service, by the way, they got them all instantly. So I'm just, just saying, you know, whatever, no. They didn't, they didn't. But who can name, if you shout it out, if you know a value that we say? Biblically saturated, Biblically saturated. absolutely. What else? Joy in Jesus, that's right. Yeah, I heard that one. Generous relationships, intentional apprenticeship, and what's the last one? Uh, you know, I, come on, David, what is it? Desperate and dependent prayer. Absolutely. So if we modeled those values, 
You think that would have an impact on the world? You think the person that doesn't know Jesus but knows you, you think that would affect their view of the king? Absolutely. And that was Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees, that they were poisoning others' perspectives. And then we go to woe number four. What sorrow awaits you if you are a rule-making rule-breaker? Verse 45 One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Almost as if he expects Jesus to say like, Oh, my bad, right? No, but Jesus Jesus doubles down. He's like, Oh, well, I'm glad you you brought that up. (laughs) Woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens With one of your fingers. You guys, their rules had rules, right? Anybody know uh, about how many commands and laws there were in the Old Testament? Somebody said 613 is what I I read. That's a lot of laws, right? And only religious people say, you know what, we need more. We need more. I don't know if, does anybody, raise your hand if you like doing your taxes, Anybody like doing your taxes? Okay, nobody? Man, if, if you, oh, one person, okay. If you like doing your taxes, you would love these guys. They're like the IRS of the ancient Near East, right? I mean, they, they know exactly how much money you made. They know how much money you owe, but they still want you to spend $100 and 17 hours to figure it out for yourself. And if you get anything other than their answer, you go to jail, right? I mean, these are like rule-following people of the ancient Near East, um, And some of us hear the word Pharisee, and we think, okay, the people who made rules for rules. But I didn't actually understand how, like, intense their penchant for rules really is. And so there's there's this thing that this the Mishnah is a is a rabbinical commentary on the Torah of the Old Testament, where they, you know, uh, the the fourth commandment, um, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and you shall not work on, you know, supposed to work on the Sabbath. So people have questions like, well, what does it mean to work? You know, you know, I don't understand that. And so that's what that was about. And they go, I want you to just get a flavor for the kinds of rules they had so that when Jesus says you burden people with, uh, load people with burdens that are hard to bear and you don't touch it with a finger, you understand what he's talking about. So they, I mean, they had, you know, you're not supposed to work. And they, they said, okay, well, what is work? Kindling or extinguishing a fire, that's work. Um, but beyond that, well, okay, if, if I have a lamp and it's an oil lamp and their rules went so specific to say you can't put an eggshell above the lamp and poke a hole in the eggshell and fill that eggshell with oil so that it would drip more oil into the lamp to extend the burning time, that's work. Um, they said something like this, you know, you can't carry an object on the Sabbath. And here's the specifics. You can't carry it in your right hand or in your left hand, in your bosom or on your shoulder. But you may carry it on the back of your hand or with your foot or with your mouth or with your elbow or in your ear or in your hair or in your wallet if the wallet's mouth is facing downward or in your elbow, I'm sorry, or between your wallet and your shirt or in the hem of your shirt or in your shoe or in your sandal. So are you getting this, right? Like Jesus is saying, you know, you yourselves don't touch these burdens with your finger because they had so many exceptions to their rules that they didn't even have to follow them. 
There's these people that are, they, they deeply want to follow after God and they're relying on the religious elite to teach them, to help them understand what the scripture means and they're complicating it and they're adding rules and rules and rules and burdens. Now contrast that. And they didn't, they didn't even always agree. Different rabbis would say different things. So contrast that with what Jesus said. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, heavy laden, which is everybody, right? I mean, with those rules on them. I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But they made rules for rules for rules. I remember uh, several years ago, one of my kids came to me, and this is, this is at a time in life when we had uh, some friends living in our basement. And uh, they came to me on a Sunday and they said, Dad, 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 why, why do we have to go to church? Like, and this is, the, this is the kind of moment that every parent lives for, right? You, you, you look for these teachable moments when you can speak truth into your kids and they, they want to know and, and it's the perfect time to say, oh, bud, listen, we follow Jesus and we want to go and be among his people and, and hear from his word and, and corporately worship together, right? I mean, that is like, it's just like a softball, perfect setup for me to just deliver that nugget of wisdom, right? And so, of course, what I say is, hey, we go to church because it's Sunday. And on Sunday, we go to church. Oh, total, total fail, right? I, don't even, I have no clue what I was thinking. And my friend who overheard this, she looks at me and she's like, that's what you're going to tell your, that's what you're going to teach your kids? Is you go to church because it's Sunday? And it's like, we can become legalists who make empty rules. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful with that. Maybe it's just me, but maybe it's us in, in some ways that we can become legalistic if we say, hey, there's only one version of the Bible that you can use. Or maybe you say, you, you need to have a quiet time every morning. That's a rule that, I, that you have to follow. Or you tithe, you tithe to the penny, exactly. Or, or you like agonize over, is it pre-tax, is it post-tax? If there's a lack of joy, we, in here we talk, around here we talk about joy in Jesus, but it's really hard if you're a legalistic rule follower to have joy. If you, you find it hard to have victory over sin, that could be a sign because, man, if you're, not, if you're not aware of God's grace for you and what he did for you, it's hard to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to say, change me when you're focused on the minutia of following rules or, or have a performance orientation. If we think that God loves me more when I spend time in prayer. God loves me more when I read the word. And then lastly, if we have a critical attitude towards others. Because if we don't understand the extent that of God's grace towards us, man, how can we, how, it's hard to extend it to others. But if you realize how sinful you are and how much you've been forgiven, oh my goodness, anything. It's, it's so much easier to forgive. And that brings us to woe number five. What sorrow awaits if you are a phony pretender. Verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. The religious people, they're building monuments, you know, 
ostensibly honoring the prophets, but the only prophets that they really like are prophets that are dead. Right? When they're alive, they, they try to kill them, and they don't repent in their hearts from the very sins that they, prophets were condemning them of. They don't even repent of those. Jesus calls out the Pharisees' hypocrisy, which is the same thing the old prophets were, were calling out, and that, that got the prophets killed, and they reject Jesus for that, and they try to kill him too. He's saying, listen, you're, you're giving lip service to honoring these prophets. You guys are phony pretenders. You're not even repenting of what they uh, called you out on. And hypocrisy shines brightly, you guys. People can tell, the world can tell whether or not that we are a duck or a decorated shed. Right? They know that. And so the question is, you know, well, what is a duck or a decorated shed? It comes from architecture. A decorated shed is essentially uh, a building that could be anything, right? You put a sign on it that says, Joe's Dino- uh, Donut Shop or Harry's Barber or Michelle's whatever, grocery store. And, and then that's what it is. You only know what it is because it has a sign, okay? So some examples would be, you know, pick and save. Could be, take the pick and save sign off. It could be anything, right? Philly fried chicken, Babe, Toys R Us, right? What is a duck? Well, a duck is a building that needs no sign, right? That is a duck. It doesn't even, it doesn't even say what it is. And like comments about the uh, owners who decided to build a building like that, we'll just like leave that off to the side for a minute. But, but clearly that is some like poultry related thing happening in that building, right? And they, they sell duck eggs. Totally clear, Right? Nobody wonders what kind of factory that is, okay? Makes baskets. Coca-Cola Museum. And what is the theme of this hotel? Right? They don't need a sign out front that says, like, music hotel. It's totally clear. And the, the thing about that is us. If, if, if we are people who say, who need to say, like, if we're decorated shed, it's like us saying, oh, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to tell you I'm a Christian, or I'm going to, I'm going to show you by the way that I live, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? That's, that's being a decorated shed. But if we're going to be a duck, that's just saying my heart is so transformed into the heart of God. I am, what comes out of it, just bubbles out of it, is Jesus. I'm filled with the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like, I don't need to tell anybody that I'm a Christian. It is going to be so clear to them just by who I am. And so when we talk about the Pharisees being phony pretenders, it's like, man, are you going to be a duck or a decorated shed? And that brings us to woe number six. What sorrow awaits if you don't know God and teach others your ways. Verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Right? The, the key here is, is, is unlocking Scripture. That's supposed to be the key of knowledge. And, and the Pharisees were charged with helping people understand what God's Word said. And instead, they didn't, they didn't first off, they didn't really understand what it said because they're, they're totally missing the boat, which is the thrust of what Jesus has been saying. 
and they're confusing other people. They're turning the Bible into a book of riddles. And the challenge for us is that there's, there's so much depth and richness, right, to Scripture. We've got, we've got uh, prophecies and parables and concepts like sanctification and justification and things that make up the, the, the Christian life, like Bible study, where you maybe you um, circle certain words and triangles and underlines, and you have a daily uh, quiet time, and you're in a life group, and you pray using acrostics, and huh, it could be overwhelming. It could be, wow, I didn't realize it was so complicated to be a Christian. And if you're feeling that way, man, I just want to remind us of the simple truth. Man, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus loves me, and he gave his life up that I might live. That's a simple, that's a simple truth, right? We have five kids, so we have a family of seven, and it's it's pretty easy to have five kids. And now I, I can say that with a straight face because before we had five kids, uh, we had four kids. And having, having five kids really isn't that much different than four kids, right? And before we had four kids, we had three kids and two kids and one kid. It's a pretty big difference to go from zero kids to one kid. But other than that, right? I mean, it's pretty much not that big of a difference. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed by all the things coming at you, if you're feeling like, man, I am just getting lost here, Right? Just like the Pharisees were getting lost. Take it back to basics. Right? You don't have to be doing all of those things. It's like, keep it simple. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do it with other people. And then, and then later on, if you want, right, there's other things you can do. But you don't have to go from like, you know, zero kids to five. Analogy is kind of breaking down here, right? But like, you don't have to like jump right there. So what to do if you find yourself, uh, you realize that you're a religious person. Or maybe you knew right away, you're like, I don't, I don't have integrity. I just know that about myself, right? Or I'm a different person here than I am out there. I do things, I, if I'm honest, I do things for the recognition. I do things for the honor. My heart is evil. I'm a hypocrite. I'm quick to criticize others. I add rules where there doesn't need to be new rules. Right? Any of us could find ourselves there. If you find yourself there, man, it's really what Jesus was saying. It's about having, if your inner life is under control, your outer life will be under control. And so I want to leave you with this. If you think you're maybe legalistic, I want to give you five rules to deal with a legalistic heart. Just kidding, just kidding, right? Like, wouldn't that be the worst, right? You get somebody who's like all about the minutiae and the rule following, and you're like, oh man, here's five rules. And you'd be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're not going to do that, right? You just need one thing. You need a heart transformation. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Spend time with Jesus and meditate on his word. That is, that is the only thing that you need. Um, we've been doing, my, my, my like bent is to nerd out when I read the Bible. I mean, I'll get a couple different versions and a commentary and, and I'll never get farther than a couple of sentences because I'm flipping back and forth and pretty soon I'm like six books away from where I started because I'm interested in, in what's going on there. But recently we've been doing something. My boys said, hey dad, can we, can we do a Bible study? Well, yes, we can. And we're, we're looking at it from a totally different perspective, right? We're saying, rather than going deep into the sort of minutia uh, to learn about God, we're saying, reading the text and saying, man, what does this say about God's character? 
How can I, what does it say about God's attributes? What is, what is the big idea? And we're, we're purposely staying a little bit higher than would be my bent. And there's not, I'm not saying one is good and one is wrong at all. I'm just saying in my life, my bent is to go deep and nerd out and kind of get lost in the, maybe lost in the weeds a little bit. And for me personally, that has been so fulfilling to just be at a high level and say, man, let me, let me focus on the characteristics of God, the attributes of God. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we close. And I want to read you guys the sad conclusion of what happened. You can read it for yourselves, see what happened. After, so remember, these are Jesus' you know, people that love God. They profess, they profess to love God. The Bible is important to them. Jesus gives them a scathing rebuke, and they have an opportunity to repent. Right? He's, he's holding an intervention, and here's how they respond to that. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. That's a heartbreaking story. Heartbreaking ending to that story. What sorrow awaits Because a hardened heart often finds repentance to be difficult and responds with defensiveness. And let that not be us, that that we would be light, that our conversations would be seasoned with salt, and that our hearts, friends, that our hearts would match our words and actions.